Hello friends, Precious D here. We've got another one of our special role-playing game related interviews in the second half of today's show. We'll be talking to Levi Combs from Planet X Games, publisher of Escape from Skull Kano Island, a kaiju-related role-playing game supplement for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. But first, we're going to play the theme song, and then Honeybee and I will talk about Zarkor the Invader. One, two, three, four... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and neighbors, welcome to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. I am one of your hosts, Precious D. And I am the other one of your hosts, Honey Bee. Honey Bee and I are two best friends making our way through the history of kaiju movies. We began with the original King Kong in 1933, and we are now to 1996. With the direct-to-video movie, yeah. Zarkor the Invader. This uh, this movie was produced by Full Moon Entertainment. Honeybee, are you at all familiar with Full Moon Entertainment? Negative. Uh, also distributed by a, um, what do you call it, sub-label of theirs called Monster Island Entertainment. I'm very familiar with Full Moon Entertainment, although I'd not seen this particular movie before. But back in the day when there were video rental stores, I would often pick up the latest release from Full Moon Entertainment. Their low-budget genre movies, science fiction, horror, things like that. They're, um, some of their best-known Series are the the Puppet Master series, and the Subspecies series, and Trancers, and Dollman, Dollman versus Demonic Toys, Demonic Toys. The more recent things they've done are Ginger Dead Man and Killer Bong. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're low budget crap, but they can be fun low budget crap, and I certainly spent a fair amount of money renting this crap in the past. Uh, I have a friend who used to work for one of the acting unions, uh, and maybe he still does. I'm not sure. I'm not going to mention his name in case what he told me is, you know, not for public <laughs> consumption. But he warned me years ago. He said, uh, well, I said, I don't know how it came up, but I had said something about full moon. And he said, well, if you ever work for them, Make sure you get paid up front and that you get your travel up front because they had had to come to the aid of they used to do a lot of filming in Romania and at least one, possibly more than one uh, actor had their ticket to Romania paid for, but did not have their return ticket paid for and ended up ended up stranded in Romania and (gasps) called on the union to help them get home so yeah so full moon's a a little bit shady sometimes 
Uh, and we'll, we probably run into a few more of their films over the years. But I was always a big fan of the Trancers series that starred Tim Thomerson. First Tim Thomerson sounds Hunt. like a made-up name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's his real name. Joseph Timothy awesome. Thomerson. Yeah. Oh, well, Joseph Timothy Thomerson. Yeah, that sounds more like a real name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you probably know him if you saw him. He's been in a lot of stuff. Some of it cheap stuff, some of it real stuff. Nice. Anyway, today we're talking about this piece of shit, though. Zarkor the Invader. <laughs> Damn. Uh, first thoughts, honeybee? Uh, man, I, I, I don't know what my first thoughts are, to be completely honest. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, this movie, I definitely, it's a kaiju movie for sure. There's a kaiju in it, but the kaiju <laughs> just seems so, it's the least, it's like, this is one of those movies where like the people shit is way more yes. happening and like way more taking over and way more in the forefront. And the kaiju shit is very minimal. Like there's like little yes. flashes here and there of like Zarkor, like destroying tiny toy towns and shit like that. But really this movie is about the people and I'm really not a fan of that. Most of the time, like it just kind of, I want more monster shit usually, or I want the kaiju to be more than just like this mindless thing tearing shit up which Zarkor kind of is because he does have like this purpose in a sense I guess of like finding this dude or whatever but really there was just a lot of weird people shit going on and it kind of reminded me of like it just escalates so quickly and there's like it just a lot of bad shit happening with these people and I don't know it's just kind of like uh, well let me read you something from Wikipedia that might explain part of what you're feeling there okay yeah yeah G give it to me this is uh under the uh production subheading on the wikipedia article the zarkor scenes directed by michael deke were filmed before neil marshall stevens wrote the script oh. Prin principal photography took place over the course of less than a week <laughs> Uh, the effects for Zarkor were created using a man in a rubber suit, which we appreciate. Similar to that of the Godzilla series. Costume was designed by Jody Zimmelman. The sound effect used for Zarkor's roar was the same as the roar of the Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, Rex from Jurassic Park. Ah, oh, he also has a little bit of a growl, too, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. The reason why that's important is because the human shit does not seem very closely or directly connected to the kaiju shit. Yeah, yeah. And it does seem yeah. like they built one miniature set and then mm -hmm. had Zarkor just stomp through it and tear it up with no yeah. goal, no rhyme or reason. Just, all right, buddy, get in there and have at it. And he goes in <laughs> and just, just tear shit up. Yeah. And then they, and that probably was done in a day. And then they <laughs> interspersed that with the human shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is all because it's a low budget piece of crap. And in fact, there's <laughs> one point where I was almost admiring the low budget crappiness of it <laughs> because so there's two directors here. Aaron Osborne is the other director listed. And I'm assuming he directed all the human shit 
and Michael Deke just directed the Zarkor shit. Uh, but there's a point when they're sitting in the police car listening to the radio, and the radio is telling us all the stuff so that they don't have to show it. <laughs> the radio is saying, oh, the army is launching missiles and they're having no effect oh, and the oh, tanks coming are coming. And the... Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh, well done. I see what you did there. <laughs> so they didn't, you know, normally we have little tiny tanks roll out. We have some mm -hmm. shots of real real tanks and jeeps and things and people in army uniforms interspersed with the model ones, but none of that in this movie because they couldn't afford it. They just, a guy on the radio telling us all that stuff is happening. Yeah. Uh, I should say the release date is April 1996. It is 80 minutes. And of course it's in color and in English produced by a whole bunch of people here. But Albert Band and Charles Band are two of the producers. Charles Band is the main guy behind uh, Full Moon Entertainment, Full Moon Studios, Full Moon Pictures, all the various incarnations of that company. And the music is by Richard Band. So keeping it all in the family. Fuck yeah. Our cast is Reese Pugh as Tommy Ward. DePriest Grossman as Dr. Stephen Martin. As Dr. Stephanie Martin. Oh, I wonder if that's... I just noticed that. I wonder if that is a reference to Steve Martin from Godzilla, or if that's just a coincidence. Uh, Mark Hamilton as George Ray. I got excited for a nanosecond when this name came up, and I was like, oh, no, it's Mark Hamilton, not Mark Hamill. <laughs> Charles <laughs> Schneider as Arthur. He was very annoying. Tori Lynch as Proctor. Uh Franklin A. Vallette as Horace, Don Yannon as Dunk, Peter Looney as Billy, Dyer McHenry as Al, Stan Chambers as Stan, Elizabeth Anderson as herself. I don't know who the fuck that was. Did yeah. you notice? I noticed that when the actual credits went by, it just said Elizabeth Anderson as Elizabeth Anderson. I'm like, yeah. was that the news lady or something? Nothing I can find out about her. It's giving me a clue as to who it was in the movie. Robert Craighead as Marty Carlson, Dylene Nelson as Debbie Dalverson, Marty Osto as reporter, Jim Glassman as stage manager, Emmett Green as crew member, Mike Turner as guard one, Robert J. Farrell as guard two, Ron Barnes as Larry Bates, and John Paul Fiedel as Zarkor. Who? Did you just ooh-woo? No, oh, no, no. Oh, you said who. <laughs> who? <laughs> I don't... Who was the little mall rat? The Oh, maybe that's Elizabeth. <laughs> maybe that's... A, maybe maybe so. Because it says that she was some kind of a um, singer. Mm. So maybe we're meant to... And she's done a bunch of voice acting, and I could see that voice being in cartoons. Also, I think you meant mall tramp. That's what they call her. Mall tramp. That's what he a, calls her a in the movie. A tiny, tiny teenage mall tramp. He calls her that twice. Again. I was like, ew, come on. Gross. Again, saving money by just having her wear her own clothes. And use her own name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Here's the plot from Wikipedia, because God knows I made no notes about this fucking movie. I made a few. Uh, I did appreciate that it was a guy in a suit tearing up models. I liked that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. 
Same. I really like the design of Zarkor. I love his horns. His his legs are a little skinny. Like, he's all, like, jacked up top, and then his, like, legs are kind of skinny, and I'm like, yo, bro, if you're going to be walking through a city smashing, you know, buildings, you, you can't skip leg day. You just can't do it. <laughs> oh, no, this says the, the pixie was Tori Lynch, who was not in that list of credits that I just listed, so I don't still well, don't know who Elizabeth weird. Anderson was. Uh, intelligent aliens who have been studying Earth for centuries decide to challenge mankind by sending in a 180-foot laser-eyed monster called Zarkor to wreak city-crushing havoc. Only one incredibly average young man, postal worker Tommy Ward, can find the beast's weakness and save the planet with the help of a six-inch tall pixie, well, not really, Tori Lynch, who says she is a mental image projected into his brain by the aliens, and yet when he bobs her on the head, she reacts. So, uh, so, <laughs> uh, so annoying. She makes a point of saying, I'm real, but I'm not physical. I'm a projection into your brain, and the reason I look like this is to be something non-threatening and familiar, and only you can see me. But then he reaches out to touch her and she goes, hey, when he kind of boops her head. So it, it was inconsistent. Uh, God damn it. So the movie starts off with a laser hitting the side <laughs> of a mountain from outer space and a monster emerges. And some like and, country uh, dude, like some dude saying in a very heavy accent, like avalanche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three dudes are just walking along and one of them yells out avalanche. And the monster comes out and starts tearing shit up. Then we cut to this postal worker, not a mailman. A postal worker, which means he works There's in the difference. office, not yeah, he's he's not out delivering the mail. He's not a letter carrier. He works at the office, probably sorting mail. And this little I guess sexy young woman in shorts and a crop top appears on his well, breakfast table next to his bowl. I mean he <laughs> they took the her trouble as a teenage mall rap, so so I wouldn't necessarily Teenage mall tramp. Mall tramp, yeah. yeah. But I mean, they're trying to make, you know, she's wearing revealing clothes. That. Oh, uh, but just total normal human looking clothes, not space age. She's wearing a clothes. crop top. She's wearing a crop top and like and some bottoms. Very it's short not really shorts. that sexy. <laughs> they're not okay. that short. <laughs> I, I feel like they were trying to make her look attractive. But she's she just appears to this dude and starts explaining to him that he has to stop the monster, which he hasn't turned on the news yet, so he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And the reason he has been chosen is because he's the absolute medium average person. He says, there must be other people more qualified than me. And she's like, yes, 50 percent. Exactly 50% of the population of the planet is more qualified than you to deal with this. And exactly 50% is less qualified than you to deal with this. That's why you were chosen. Ah, I found this guy so annoying, though. He's just a real whiner throughout the whole. Yes. It, it reminds me of Harry Potter, where, where it's like, yeah, you're the main character, but you're kind of just like a whiny little bitch. Like... <laughs> My God, why are you so unpleasant? I I don't remember feeling that way about Harry Potter, but I could. He he doesn't. It's not like it it takes like four or five books for him to become just like this whiny kind of teenager. 
And there's just like a book or two where like he's just so whiny and everything is like he yeah. just cries about everything and he's just like why do I have to be the chosen yeah. one? Mm, okay, my parents yeah, so are dead and my life is so hard. <laughs> well, it's true. when he starts out, he is a little less. Well, he doesn't know he's the chosen one when he starts out. He's and he's actually excited about things because he gets to leave a shitty life behind. But mm-hmm. then life is just shitty in a different way as people are constantly trying to kill him right and don't come for me okay i i know everyone like loves harry potter and stuff i just think he's like the least interesting character at some point like book like four he's like the least like he's just kind of a whiny little bitch and it's annoying and that's only because i'm like 30 and not like 15 because i grew up when i was growing up we were the same age but now you know i'm older (laughs) he's kind of a whiny bitch he he reaches a point where he's had he's about had enough of this nonsense (laughs) starts complaining it's true but anyway, this guy complains through about 80% of the movie. He kind of gets his shit together near the end. But anyway, this pixie explains that Zarkor cannot be destroyed by weapons, but that the key to the monster's destruction lies within the monster itself. Tommy, chosen as an average human, is the one destined to fight Zarkor, who is programmed to kill him. He can't just run away from this. It's going to come looking for him. Tommy asks scientist Dr. Stephanie Martin for advice. <laughs> about well, his mission is that, is but everyone that thinks he's crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> he sees her on the tv talking about how zarkor is not a dinosaur so he decides she's the expert that can help and then just goes to the tv station and kidnaps her it get, it's it's crazy this tv station like situation it, it, it gets really out of hand really quickly and the little fairy lady even tells him like something about like the more positive decisions you make and the faster you make them, the more like the faster you'll succeed or like the better you'll succeed yeah. or some shit. And then he just walks into this news station. He's holding people at gunpoint. He's like, I, it's just the whole scene. I was just like, what the fuck is happening? You, you have like, to take it just positive gets so action. out of control. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was also getting annoyed with Stephanie in that she keeps struggling past the point where it. I'm just like, you're going to end up getting shot by <laughs> by accident if you don't just calm the fuck down. There's a point when someone's got a gun on you that maybe you rush them in or you try to get away. But there comes a point when that's not working where you just need to calm down and, and humor the crazy person. It turns out he's not crazy. But, you know, you can try just humoring them and getting them to calm down and getting them to trust you. Rather than just constantly struggling and trying to break their grip on you and end up getting shot by accident when they keep saying, I don't want to hurt you. And you just. Yeah, but uh, when he's like it, holding a gun to her head, like, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. I promise. I'm just right. going to keep this gun at your fucking face. Like, oh, my God. Right. But it just seemed like squirming around was not the best way to deal with that. But that's all <laughs> that's all on the director. That is all on the director. He he should have guided her in a different direction. I'm not going to blame her. That's the director's fault. Uh, it just got old because it wasn't going anywhere. And it was just slowing everything down. I literally was like, I swear to God, if these fucks end up together, I'm going to be so pissed off. <laughs> I already knew. I already well, fucking knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes to try to talk to her, but she immediately thinks he's crazy so he decides to try to force her to listen at gunpoint well it escalates 
first he's he's she's like don't touch me i'm like i'm not touching you but he's right right up in her face almost touching her and then <laughs> somebody calls for security and so he grabs well, before, a, before anyone calls for security there's like people all around them it's so awkward that like no one yeah. is helping her because like when we like the camera like pans the room like there are people close to her and i'm like is anyone gonna help this poor lady because he's like i'm not crazy i just talked to an alien and i'm supposed to defeat yeah. zarkor and like and finally she screams like help and someone's like call security but for the longest time there are like so that he, a guy yeah. taking out the trash lets him in and then he asks yeah. a guy uh, hey where's the wardrobe room and then that guy just tells him and then he like basically pushes this woman up against the wall and is like listen to me I'm not crazy and people just are like acting like this is a very normal situation until she screams like help and then right. someone calls security it was super awkward and I just felt yeah. really bad for her <laughs> so he tries to fight off security with some kind of a stand were they calling a c-stand some kind of an equipment yeah. stand. Mm -hmm. And then ends up getting the security guard's gun away from him. And then getting the making the other security guard give him his gun. He has like three or four guns at some point. Mm -hmm. And then they call the real police. And the real police come in. And he's locked, gotten in the bathroom at this point. And the policeman's trying to talk to him. Gets him to open the door. And there's two cops there. And one of the cops starts actually listening and decides that he <laughs> believes him. Good old George. And takes his side. Yeah, George. Uh, and, he, and he puts the uh, George Ray. He turns his gun on the other policeman and disarms him and, and helps him uh, escape. <laughs> and I just fucking loved it. Now, I don't know that he really has a good reason because he starts talking about Come on, the aliens have been watching us forever and, you know, abductions and calculations. Look at the evidence. Yeah, the evidence. I'm like, there's no <laughs> goddamn evidence for any of that shit. Oh, but there's a point now. I don't know if you caught this. At this time uh, in America, there was a problem with postal workers losing their shit and attacking people, shooting people. What? They called it going post. Yeah. This was before school shootings became so common. Workplace shootings and mostly postal workers just losing their shit and, and shooting the place up. Coming into work and shooting Yikes. people. Things like that. Jesus Christ. They called it going postal. There was Then there were some incidents of people who didn't work at the post office doing this. Uh, and there's even a movie called Going Postal about it. And the moral of this story is put fucking air conditioners yeah. in your trucks, people. Yeah. The, the movie's based on a video game, though, I think, called Postal or Going Postal. Well, there. the thing is that it, it can be a really high-stress job for the people working in the post office of constantly having to process, not having enough people working there and having to process so much mail. And I don't know if it's not as bad anymore because we're not using the post office as much as we used to. Uh, but I bring this up because at one point when the police have been called, somebody tells them he's a postal worker and they look at each other like, oh shit, this is, this is serious. Oh, I thought what was happening was like, he's a postal worker. Like he's a bitch. Just come in and shoot him. He doesn't know karate or no, anything. No, no. <laughs> No, no, they meant that as, oh, he's serious. He might shoot up the whole place oh, if he's a postal worker. Oh, I took it the complete so, opposite way. That's so funny. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that, yeah, that's what that was about. Um, mm. But I had a feeling some of our, our younger listeners might not be aware of that uh, trope, that meme, that concept. Anyway, they, they get away and uh, go some, the George knows a, a place where they can hide. Uh, Dr. Martin agrees to help him. Using computers belonging to a friend of hers, oh, Jesus Christ, they establish that the monster, which is destroying city after city in the style of Godzilla, neither sleeps nor breathes. Uh, they're skipping over a bunch here. So she knows, yeah, she knows some hacker dude named Arthur, who is He's just one of the more annoying. <laughs> I prefer the term cybernaut. He <laughs> is um, some kind of a computer-based criminal that she knows as, as a... <laughs> For some reason, I'm not sure why, because she's some because... sort of a, well, they called her, they called her a cryptozoologist at the end of the movie, but I think she's being presented as a paleontologist at the beginning of the movie. Anyway, he, he he's known her though knows... since she was like 17 or something, because they yeah. talk about how he like tapped her phone lines or something when she was like yes. 17 or, or, or not 17, but like lost her virginity to her professor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that happened at 17 because he's a college professor, but he has known her since then. Yeah, he's been spying on her. He's a total creep. He's got poor social skills and uh, laughing is a nervous habit for him. And like he's walking just Phoenix nuts. Joker, like laughing, yeah. nervous laughter. Yeah, weird. he's he's just nuts. And but, uh, you know, computer genius who can easily break into they want to use him to access any sort of records uh, to just figure out what the fuck's going on. To try yeah, to get a clue. He's kind, of, he's kind of a shit, but he was my favorite character of the whole movie. <laughs> I found him incredibly annoying. But I will say, the actor, the actor was committing 110% to what he was doing. Yeah, he was not phoning sure. it in. He was giving it all he had. Mm-hmm. Uh... But he, you know, they do a bunch of looking into shit and putting pieces together and sort of figure out that at the same time, they figure out where he came from. And then they figured out that something else happened at the same time, not too far away as as when he first appeared. You know, they look at a bunch of weather stuff and energy Mm -hmm. surges and all kinds of stuff. And they put together that these two things happened at two different places at the same time. So they should go to the other place to see what they can find there. And Arthur gives him a little. It's so funny. Arthur asks, like, are you two together to like Dr. Stephanie and to the main guy? And then he's like, are you two together to the cop? And then to her. And then he's like, are you two together to the two dudes? (laughs) Right. It's really funny. Uh, Any combination of anyone dating here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, you said he had poor social skills and he's got the poor social skills because it doesn't really (laughs) Like, what do you, what difference does it make? We need to stop, save the world. And you're worrying about who may or may not be banging. Yeah. He's like, oh, so you use prostitutes or. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's got no impulse control. He's a shit. Oh, but he's he arranges, shit, but awesome. he uses, he uses computer skills to book them on a plane and tell Stephanie to go out and buy some new clothes for these guys so they don't. Because they'll be spotted in their uniforms right away. And 
Yeah, they do some brainstorming, come up with the off switch. Yeah. There was much less security at airports at this time, too. So even though these guys are wanted fugitives, it's not completely inconceivable that they'd be able to get on the airplane to go to, where was it, Arizona? Yes. Yes, it is Arizona. So it says going to the place where the monster first appeared, but that's not that's not what they do. They go to the other place where something else appeared at the same time and come into possession of a strange metallic capsule that fell out of the sky at the same time the monster arrived. It is they basically impersonate government agents. Do- and they the have this moment to... where they're like doctor, doctor, doctor. doctor. <laughs> it's yeah. like they're all meeting yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh it is believed to be unopenable, but it opens itself for Tommy as he touches it. Does it? I kept expecting that to happen, but I didn't he, I don't no, remember it, it actually happening. It it doesn't. Or I didn't see it happen. I did. To well, me, it, it was happens like all off of a sudden screen. he just knows. Yeah. Okay. Maybe yeah. that's the case. Because it says here he uses the top of the capsule as a shield. Because that's the thing. When he takes it out later, it does seem like he's just got the top of it. But they don't ever show it. He's not carrying the whole thing. For, at first, the locals are cooperating with them. But then when they decide to pack up the thing and take it with them, they start arguing. And George has to intimidate everybody into shutting up and leaving them alone but then they get stopped on the road on the way to they're going to now take the thing and go to the monster and they get stopped on the road and the cop sees something on his report that he doesn't like so he asks him to get out and tommy takes off without them he's like thanks for helping guys bye (laughs) and gets to where zarkor's tearing shit up pulls out the thing and uses it as a shield and reflects Zarkor's laser eyes back at him and the monster dissolves into a small glowing sphere flying into space. <laughs> it's very anticlimactic. Yeah. But I, I kind of like the idea like, oh yeah, that's the the um, key to his destruction is within him. Just it's, shoot his own yeah. eye beams back at him. Tommy is taken to a hospital to recover. A TV reporter congratulates him for saving the world and jokes he might run for president. Is that a joke? Because uh, she, I don't think it's a joke. It didn't seem like a joke. No, it seemed it's, like she was really saying. <laughs> She's like, there's everybody a keeps saying, Yeah. Yeah. To draft you as president. Draft you into running, but you can't just draft someone. <laughs> Still have to get elected. You did it. Sarkor the Invader received negative reviews from critics, but has a cult following who tend to praise the monster Zarkor, but not the movie as a whole, according to Wikipedia. Nice. The the argument, there's like a screaming match between Sheriff Rocker and George, and that was hilarious. It's like, <laughs> you know, they're like, show us some proof that you're government officials. And George is like, oh, you're a question asker, huh? And they're like, it's yeah, just this just, ridiculous screaming so match really back weird. and forth. It's so And he's implying funny. that being an American means not being a question asker. Yeah, because <laughs> he's really just weird. trying. Yeah, it's because he's just trying to, like, distract them so that the other people yeah. can get the thing in the car. And he has no material right. to work with. So he's just like, I'm just going exactly. to bullshit you I don't, until they get in the car. On. Yeah. And then they're like, it's too big. And he's like, give me your belt. <laughs> right. So that they can strap it into the car. It wasn't clear to me, though, why the sheriff waits till this moment to start pushing back. And something I think just because, clicked in his head. That, yeah, it, it's just going really that, weird. Like, why would minute, they I pick never it up? Did, he's like, I never did get any ID from these guys. I just 
took them yeah, at their and he's word. like, why? Why would they pick up this thing that could explode? Like we don't even know what it does. Why are they acting like right. this? Like why are they trying to just put it in their car, in the trunk of their car, and drive away? Like something is fishy here. It's like, Prove <laughs> yourself. And he's like, how dare you be un-American and ask me for ID? <laughs> <laughs> right. How dare you do your job? <laughs> so funny. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Friends and neighbors, I have a special guest with us here today, Mr. Levi Combs of Planet X Games, who is here to talk to us about Escape from Skullcano Island and whatever other monster-related stuff or RPG-related stuff we might get into. Welcome to the show, Levi. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm melting. It's <laughs> incredibly hot still. It's probably about 104 right now. Dude, you got that and Texas course, heat. Uh, yes. Yep. Yep. And I'm in my closet and trying not to let the fan make too much noise into the microphone. So. Oh my gosh. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope all you listeners appreciate what I go through for you. <laughs> this man is going to the in, in, ends of the earth to bring you all the good monster news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, Levi, the the reason, of course, that uh, your name and your company came up on this show, because normally we're talking about kaiju movies, is because of your uh, adventure module for uh, and, and setting for 5th edition D&D called Escape from Skullcano Island. Yes, sir. Which is a kaiju related role-playing game supplement and uh, yeah i mentioned it in my presentation at gen con and that caught your attention i've been meaning to try to get you to come on the show for a while because of that but it was uh, seeing my video that actually finally got us to connect well you know there's a it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a small group of us that make kaiju related adventures <laughs> for D D. you know well <laughs> that the thing is once you start looking for it you start seeing, uh, realizing there's more of it. Like years ago, I was putting together a playlist of Superman songs. And once you start mm. looking for Superman songs, you find that there are far more of them than you realized. So once you start <laughs> looking for kaiju role-playing games or supplements for role-playing games, you realize there's more there. And I'm hoping I might be able to find enough new stuff to do a, a follow-up presentation next year because I've already had a couple of things come across my radar. I mean, the, the game itself lends itself to, to kaiju for sure. I mean, you know, for any, any kind of yeah. giant monster or monster movie kind of uh, aesthetic, you know, it just absolutely lends itself, especially at high level. So, um, yeah, man, it was just a natural for me as uh, being such a massive Godzilla fan and Toho fan and um, just monster movies in general. So what's, uh, was there anything specific that, uh, tell us a little bit about Skullcano Island uh, for the folks who haven't checked it out yet. 
Yeah, so Escape from Skullcano Island, it's a it's a high-level uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons module. Um, for fifth edition, there aren't a lot of high-level modules floating around out there. But that was kind of a thing for um, for the earlier editions. There were there were quite a few in first and second edition, a couple in third. Um, but but largely there there's not very many in fifth. So I thought, well, you know, I've, I've written some stuff and got some ideas. Let, let me write this high level uh, fifth edition game. And uh, so when I started to get into it, you know, I had kind of like an Isle of Dread, sort of like Lost Island, um, you know, Skull Island from from King Kong kind of vision in my head of this this kind of primordial place where you know that's dominated by. Um, being by these giant monsters and like little cargo cults and just kind of a savage world sort of sort of atmosphere. And the more that I got into it, the more that uh, kind of my love for, again, for those, those Toho movies and those, those old giant monster movies, how that kind of started to creep into everything. And uh, once I got into it, the idea completely morphed into like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, just bring kaiju uh into into fifth edition and that you know it, it had been bandied about by some other um third-party publishers before but uh there weren't a whole lot of folks who had really gotten super deep into it in fifth edition so um i just dove in and uh you know it, it, it became a you know 146 page book <laughs> you know full of you know crazy locations and uh, monstrous kaiju and um, you know, the, kind of a, an apocalyptic end of campaign sort of uh, storyline. Um, so yeah, that's 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 kind of the the base pitch right there. Yeah, I've been having that problem of not enough high level adventures. The official caretakers of fifth edition D anD D seem to think that nobody plays past tenth level, and <laughs> that is not in my personal experience maybe oh, they no, don't play past 10th level because there's not enough available for 10th level <laughs> uh and it may also be that there might be a tendency for games to sort of crap out and that's about when they crap out but i don't think it's because people don't want to play i think the campaign might end for other reasons than i'm not interested in playing above 10th level so i think it's, you're it's been a complaint right. i've yeah, I think it's been a complaint I've seen. And there was now um, when I was young, first starting out with, with D&D, we had this idea that you had to uh, earn your way up to that level. So if you bought a module in the store and it was for seventh level, it would just sit there until you had some characters that were seventh level. <laughs> but somewhere around fourth edition, at least in my personal experience with people I played with, if we came across something that was for a level that we didn't have characters for, we would just make characters of the appropriate level. <laughs> this is right, like a revelation right. to us. We didn't have to start at first level and slog our way up to 15th level. If we just had this cool adventure that we wanted to play. No, hundred percent. And, uh, even with the official stuff, they have pre-made characters going up to 10th level. They don't, and that's where they stop with the official pre-made characters. But you can, you know, if you want to play an adventure that you don't have a character for, you can just grab one of those free, free uh, pre-made characters and just jump in and play it. So I feel like if they put out a cool higher level adventure that people wanted to play, they would just go ahead and play it 
if it was something that interested them. So I, I think they're missing the boat there. I think they've made a mistake, but they've been making a lot of mistakes lately. You make some good points, man, about, about, uh, about fifth edition D and D and high level. Um, the experience that I had when I was writing it, especially later on when I was playtesting it, like, Oh my gosh. Like, uh, I realized how difficult it was to write a, a you know, at least a, a, a decent playable high level, high, you know, high level adventure. It's uh it's significantly difficult. <laughs> I mean, yeah. as, far, as far as when you compare it to other adventures, you know, like especially lower level or like mid tier adventures, um, you know, the challenges have got to, they have really got to raise the bar. And there's all sorts of things that high level characters can do that you as the designer have to worry about, not, not so much worry about, but you have to plan for, you know, um, mm-hmm. now I'm a big fan coming, coming from the earlier editions. I'm a big fan of if, um, if players have powers and abilities or magic items, they should be able to use them. I mean, they're, I, I'm not, I'm not going to write something to specifically hinder, you know, someone with uh, say, say like uh, true seeing, you know, like if you can see into the astral and ethereal and invisible creatures and hidden creatures, then I don't want to punish you or, or hamper you from being able to use your abilities. I think that's just poor writing. Um, so the challenge when writing these high level adventures is making, uh, is designing something that's still challenging to those higher level characters who really can do it all. I mean, sometimes you get these, especially in fifth edition, you get these characters that, um, you know, they're attacking so many times around, they're dealing so much damage. Um, and they have, you know, you know, like I call additions, they have spells that allow them to do, I mean, some, some game breaking stuff in the hands of, uh, of a clever player. So you just have to, it's, it's an extra couple steps in designing that you have to think, or, you know, that you have to kind of design and, and, and think about um, when, when writing a high level adventure. Now, uh, you're about to expand this adventure, correct? Yeah. So, um, so the last couple of years, I've recently fallen in love with uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Like, I'd always kind of, like, mm-hmm. flirted with it a little bit, and, and had, a lot of my friends had played quite a bit of it, but I was moving around so much. Like, we were a military family, and we were just moving around everywhere. Um, so, like, I would, I'd have a group here, and then eight months later, <laughs> had to split, you know? So, um, but, you know, we've settled down. We bought a house, so you know, now I have my own group and I'm, I'm gaming more online. Um, so I, I, my game of choice is dungeon crawl classics. And I've, I've converted a couple of my older modules, uh, lower level stuff to, to DCC. And it's been pretty successful, uh, conversions. So I thought, well, let me, there's things about skull King Island, um, the module, the five E one that I didn't, you know, in retrospect, I look back now, three, three and a half years later, and I think, ah, oh, that doesn't exactly work the way I had hoped it would work. Uh, I should have expanded this. It'd be cool to add this. Oh, now I have like these seven other ideas. I'd like to put those in there. So going forward with uh, with a conversion um, to make it compatible with Dungeon Crawl Classics, um, I want to do some some considerably different things with it and uh, and really expand it to a to you know something that you could play as a as a as a campaign rather than just a, an adventure. Uh, you're going to be doing a Kickstarter for that. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, we're probably looking at uh, another year on that Kickstarter before okay. it actually sees, yeah, it'll probably be like uh, June or August of next year uh, before that, that that kicks in. I've just started kind of before playing around launched. with it. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Before yeah, you launch yeah. the Kickstarter. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, well, we'll yeah. keep an eye out for it and maybe we'll have you back uh, when that's about to happen. 
Uh, yeah, I've I've only played maybe twice uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. I've only played it about twice, but I have quite a stack of stuff that I've accumulated <laughs> for it, including uh, something that came in the mail today. Comic Crawl Classics. <laughs> Very nice. The third third party uh, product that's compatible with that. It, that's a uh, superheroes game that uses the Dungeon Crawl Classics rules. You, you know what I what I really really like about Dungeon Crawl Classics is you know it feels when I play Dungeon when I when I play DCC it feels like it's 1983 for me again, and that I'm opening up the mm-hmm. red box and I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, the way that spell casting is in, in, in that game and how like mercurial it can be, how, how like wild it can get, it really throws a, a sense of uncertainty into everything. Um, but it also, you know, your warriors have mighty deeds, your dwarves can smell gold, you've got halflings that can share their luck. It, it's like the greatest house ruled game of like basic D&D ever created. <laughs> like, it's just, it's a killer <laughs> system. And it really lends itself to, um, you know, to fantastic locations and a real sword and sorcery sort of vibe. And man, I just, uh, if you get the right group, you just, I just can't get enough. Well, Mutant Crawl Classics is the iteration I've been particularly interested in. Oh, fantastic game. I'm looking for some Gamma World vibes. And since... Wizards has refused to put out yet another edition to go with the fifth edition. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that you know, they, they, they did such a good job on, on, uh, on mutant crawl classics. Jim Wampler is a, he's, he's a, he's a buddy and he, uh, he is just, I mean, he, he really knocked it out of the park with nailing the, like the feel of DCC, like how, again, when I was talking about how it feels like it's 1983 again, by nailing that feeling, but applying it to, um, you know, applying it to the Gamma World setting, you know, or the, the the feel, the vibe of Gamma World. Like he gets, like he's such a dyed in the wool sci-fi comic book. Like he's one of us. Like he's a he's a total to, total fanboy, like the rest of us. But like he has the precision and all the knowledge, and he 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 just gets it, man. He 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 understands the vibe so well, and he really really uh you know delivered on on that game. And some of the some of his adventures are for that game are great as well. I don't. I don't know if you follow. Um, uh, he's his label, Mud Puppy Games, but he's got a, a fantastic. Uh, yes. Scientific Barbarian. Yeah, the the zine. It's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. I've got all of those. Got all of those. Got the hardback collection. Yes. I've been accumulating all you know Gamma World type stuff, but I just haven't pulled the trigger and started in a campaign. I did run a few years ago uh, an unofficial fifth edition Gamma World. I think it was called Gamma Five. It was just a fan thing that somebody had put up on the internet, nice. and we—I uh, basically adapted some old, maybe third edition Gamma World, second or third edition Gamma World modules uh, to to that. Oh, cool! And, uh, we played that, and uh, I've been, yeah, I've been backing uh, everything that comes out for that. I've been backing on the Kickstarter. I've backed a lot of your work on the Kickstarters. Hey-o. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm I'm looking at your I'm looking at the Planet X Games page on ExaltedFuneral.com, yeah. and it looks like out of 15 items, I have 11 of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Well, hey, thank you for your support. <laughs> Most of those were uh, I got them through the Kickstarter. So. 
Oh, right on, man. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. that. There, there is no small publisher without the the person who who backs those Kickstarters. If nobody backed those Kickstarters, we would just be writing stuff for ourselves. We wouldn't be publishing it. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, with, yeah. With, so without, how, with, yeah, without backers, we're like we're it, there. There is no company. So, how did you get into that small self publishing role playing guy? Oh. Um, well, that's, that's a good, good question. Um, so I was trying to get my foot in the door with in, in the, the people call it the industry, but I I hate it. I hate to call it an industry. (laughs) I call it the hobby. Uh, I was trying to get my foot in the hobby and, um, I just, man, I just, I didn't know anybody. I I knew one guy that I'd met at a con years and years ago and we kind of stayed in touch and we were, you know, in, in all the same stuff. So through like, you know, old, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger or what like ICQ or any, you know, whatever it was on on MySpace back in the day. I don't, I don't remember. We would we would talk back and forth. You know, um, Friendster. Kind of kept, it was Friendster. Friendster. Yeah. There we go. And I would. Uh, I, I guess I just kept in touch with him. You know, he's a cool guy. Um, so then I I began writing this. I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna write this. This. I'm gonna pitch it. I'm gonna somebody will will buy. It. I was very optimistic. You know, somebody's gonna publish my published my adventure so i started writing this adventure and i I turned to him for advice uh it was my friend casey christopherson who um who works for frog god games and necromancer games he's he's actually got like 100 credits like 100 rpg credits he's worked for troll lord and he's done stuff for goodman and he's all over the place you know he's he's done a lot of a lot of stuff a really accomplished rpg writer so uh, I turned to him and he was like, you know, hey, I'll pitch this to, you know, we have a meeting soon. I'll pitch this to to the powers that be. We'll see what happens. And he did. And they said, yeah, we'll buy it, but we're going to strip out all this stuff. And I was like, ah, that's kind of what makes it cool to me. You know, like I was I was really, you know, it's, it's your first thing you're trying to get published. You're so in love with it. You don't want to kill your darlings, you know. So um, he says, listen, man, he says, yeah, we can buy this. And yeah, it, it, it'd be over. But what you ought to do is you ought to just put it on Kickstarter. He says, I'll help you like format it and figure it out. I'll help you get artists. I'll help you find all the things that you need to do. And I said, well, what's Kickstarter? <laughs> I had no idea what that was. <laughs> uh, so he, showed, he did show me the ropes and he did answer all my questions and he showed me how to structure an adventure and how to, you know, how to, to not say will and or how to eliminate all the, all the that's and the, you know, just how to, how to write it so it doesn't sound so amateur level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He just helped me a lot. And he put me in contact with a lot of people and artists that I'm still working with now. You know, the guys that, 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 that did most of the work on my, on my first adventure, he's literally doing work on adventures for me now. So it's like, we, we built these relationships because of, of my previous relationship with, with Casey. So, um, yeah, he opened the door for me, uh, the same way that the door was open for him, you know, so a long time ago, uh, you know, somebody, opened the door for him and sucked her foot in and said, Hey, somebody pay attention to this guy, you know, yeah, give, give him a chance to, to, to show you something. And, um, you know, my first Kickstarter was a, was a very minor success. You know, I made, I made enough to pay for it and to, to publish it and, and not lose any money. Um, and then <laughs> after that, I understood what Kickstarter was. So I was just kind of off to the races after that. And, um, I started going to cons and, um, you know, Casey and I were still great friends. We, we talk every day, you know, uh, 
he's just he's a good dude and he's he's been a great mentor and he's been a fabulous um kind of a steward to kind of like to, to show me in the early days like hey this is what you do this is what you don't do um you know and just he, he was very uh influential in in making sure that i didn't make any of the common uh early mistakes uh what was that first adventure as a adventure called Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, which I, I build as a uh, a grindhouse style, like uh, <laughs> you know, delve into the the green hell of the southern jungles, sort of a, you know, very you know, look, listen, it had a mummy, it had a ziggurat, there was you know, undead, there you know, it's it's, it's full of traps. It was you know, it's a very like what you expect from from somebody's first published adventure you know all the things they tell you not to do like hey how many, how many adventures are there with 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 pyramids and ziggurats how many of them have some sort of undead <laughs> boss at the end you know all the things they tell you not to do i went ahead and did but it still remains uh one of the most popular adventures that i have P- people when i run into them at cons they tell me that they you know, not universally but you know it's it's a it's a pretty good vibe that they like it We've played it a lot. It's it's sold very very well, uh, you know, for my my small little minor tiny company, <laughs> and uh, it's been a it's been very very good to me. You know, I've converted it over to DCC, and the DCC crowd uh, seem to enjoy it. So I've been very very lucky with that first adventure, and uh, you know, getting it out there. And if if it had fumbled or if I had had some of these pitfalls that, that were, you know, that, that obviously I was, uh, was able to avoid, uh, you know, thanks to Casey and some good advice from some other people uh, that I don't know that if I would have even made the rest of them, you know, I, I might've been so like <laughs> disheartened or dispirited, um, but I got lucky and, you know, I got, I had, like I said, I had good mentors and uh, good folks around me. So uh, luckily it was, it was off to the races. I do have a copy of that. I didn't get it when it first came out. I think I added it on in the from one of the other Kickstarters. I, I oh, right on, on, yeah. The, the backer <laughs> kit or whatever. It does not have the Don't conventional think I... feel. Yeah, it's the, it's not the conventional feel of a, of a fifth edition module. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, a lot of the things you've put out are not for fifth edition. They're for sort of BX, uh, basic Dungeons and Dragons style play like the like your phylactery yeah there's such a a a close line that you can that you can draw between like bx and beckme uh D, A D, D D D second edition i mean there's just such a, a fine not so much there's not so much not of a fine line between those it's more of like they're so easily compatible and comparable and uh customizable that um, the blanket term of just like OSR, like old school renaissance or old school mm-hmm. revival, that is enough to, if you see that, then you know, like, oh, hey, then I can take this home and I can play it with my BX group or I can run a game with this uh, for first edition. You know, like, so I, I uh, when I work in the OSR like sphere, um, you know, I, I do a lot of zines that way, um, some adventures. I've got some stuff coming that is almost totally OSR. It's just that I find that folks can get the most use out of it. Um, because if you, if you can play D and D, then you can look at any of those titles and like, there's so little conversion that you need to do that, um, that they, that they're immediately useful to you. Yeah. I have been 
accumulating a lot of OSR stuff, but I haven't actually played that much of it. Oh, this is uh, I just sort of like the I like the concept of it, but I have not forced my gaming group to play like old school essentials or whatever yet. It's on the list. It's just not enough time, man. It's not enough time. Oh, I hear, I hear you. <laughs> Though I have found that uh, actually adapting OSR stuff to 5th edition is pretty easy. I can kind of do it on the fly. The hardest time I've had is trying to adapt something from 4th edition to 5th edition. That is not easy. Yeah, they're different. <laughs> You can just take the concept and say, okay, it says this creature, so I'll just grab the 5th edition version of that creature. But if there's something really specific, yeah, you're just going to have to make something up. There's no there's no quick and easy chart. 4th edition D&D gets kind of, I, I think, unfairly maligned. I think all the editions of D&D have, have something to offer everybody. In fact, every every game has something to offer somebody. And you got to remember, like, every game is going to be somebody's first game. You know, it's just like every comic, every comic you see, that was somebody's first comic. It yep. was the first yep. comic they ever picked up, you know, and it's the same with 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 role playing games. So, you know, fourth edition was not necessarily my vibe, but I can't really say that I, I that I, I didn't play it because of the rules or anything. I still read the books. You know, I still enjoyed what I read. It's just that uh, at, at that time in my life, I was like gaming less. And I was doing other things mm-hmm. more, you know, I, I, I still had like a little toe in the hobby. I was, I was, I was uh, buying books and not, and not playing the games. And I was reading nights at the dinner table. That's what I was doing as far as yeah. gaming went, but nothing else, you know. It was fourth edition that got me back into uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was playing other games. I kind of left D&D behind. Right, right. But I wanted to run, I wanted to run their organized play program at the store I was working in. Mm. And that's just, there you go. That was, you know, and I was like, oh, what is, what is this? I can get free D&D stuff if I run this game at my store. <laughs> yes, please like a, send me like free stuff. Your, yeah, it's like a dream yeah. to your like 13-year-old self, like free games for playing games. <laughs> right. So uh, I jumped in on that about halfway through that program, and then we kept doing it through the play test for 5th edition, and then we did it for a while during 5th edition, and then yeah, I've I've had a good time playing playing all the editions, that, you know, and that and that goes back all the way to like early, you know, like I said, BX, Beckney, uh, first edition D and D, all the way up through through now. I've had a fantastic time playing them all, um, and then all of like the spinoff, all the clones, you know, Fantasy Hero and uh, DCC, and you know, e- even stuff like uh, like crazy stuff like Stormbringer. You know, like I've, I've had a good time playing those. You know those kind of games. I, I just is is if I have a good group or if um, if the the game is really interesting to me, then I it takes very little to hook me. You know, I'm I'm, I'm there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, at this point, I know how to you know keep my mouth shut uh, if I'm a player and 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 <laughs> play along good with with everybody else and have a good time. And if I'm the DM, I I know how to you know. Um, be enthusiastic enough that every, that nobody else becomes unenthusiastic, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, I just, I, I love role-playing. I love, I love the, I love the whole idea behind RPGs. I love the community behind it. And I really like the fellowship that develops at the table, even, even like over discord or like over uh zoom or something like that for zoom games. Like yeah. you can make really, really like strong pals with people because, 
um you guys are meeting every every, every friday and you know <laughs> slaying dragons or you know uh where you're running down the orcs or you know whatever so it's good stuff yeah all my all my games are online now uh this you know we started that for obvious reasons but then people moved away so we just continued playing online so we could still play with those people now i don't know about you but i I mean, I've played every edition of D&D, but I've resolved not to play the next edition. Kind of done with Wizards of the Coast at this point. <laughs> unless there's some unless there's some announcement that uh, leadership has changed. We have seen the error of our ways. We're going to stop trying to destroy the hobby from within. I'm just, I'm not buying that next set of books when it comes out next year. I've decided to go with the uh, tales of the valiant instead from uh, kobold yeah you know there's uh, there's options galore <laughs> yeah but i have so much unplayed fifth edition stuff already i don't need to buy a new book for <laughs> for the next 10 years and i i'm fine so uh i don't know if did, did you do you have any strong feelings about that next edition that's on the horizon no i don't you know listen i'd give anything a um i'll give anything a shot I didn't like what happened earlier on at the beginning of the year. No, 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 you know, for the people who, you know, the, the very few that are listening to this that might, might not know about it, you know, look, def, def, definitely look that up on the, on the, on the internet and get a, get, get a full earful on that. But I wasn't a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of how it was handled, but at the same time, like I've played D and D for the majority of my life, you know, and it's not just D and D to me anymore. It's role-playing, you know, I'm just as happy playing Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, or playing uh, you know, any, any any of the Shadow Dark or you know, any of these uh, other iterations of, of games. Like, um, I'm, I'm not sitting around, like, you know, twiddling my thumbs, having a bunch of ill will. I, I, that's, that's just not the person that I am. But uh, I, do, I do look forward to see what new creators are going to create. You know, uh, whether or not it's it's it, it's at Hasbro or it's at, um, you know, at a, another independent publisher. I, I like seeing new ideas and I like seeing things that will move our hobby forward, things that will help bring disparate pieces of the hobby back together. I'm, I'm interested, I'm interested, just interested to see what's going to happen and um, the new innovations and the rules, what's old is new again, you know, that that sort of thing. So I, I get stoked about that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, several of the games you mentioned are, you know, I'm going to be playing Shadow Dark as soon as that physical edition comes out. There's, it's so like cool. Like I said, I got a stack of DCC I haven't played. Um, there's so many games I have I have sitting on my shelf that I haven't played yet, but I just I don't, you know, if it had if it had stopped with the uh, open game license fiasco, that might have been one thing. But then they just continue to keep shooting themselves in the foot and i'm just like i'm not giving you any more of my money and i I don't honestly need this new edition of the game anyway i'm fine with the one that i've got uh but i you know just the 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 corporation behind the whole thing i'm just so done with their behavior that i'm just gonna go play something else (laughs) yeah well that's the cool thing about about right now it's uh, it's never been a better time to be a creator than right now. You can, um, yeah. you know, you with yeah. with Kickstarter and crowdfunding and Indiegogo. Um, if you want to make something and get it out into the world, you know, now is the time. There's, I mean, the the opportunities and with social media, you can help get the word out. Um, 
you know, you have a lot of resources, you know, whether or not it's even, even if you, you don't have a big budget, you can still use Stockart. There's all kinds of ways that you can, you can get things done. If you really, really want to put out a book, you can do it. Uh, and if you want to, you know, like I said, if you are, uh, you know, if, 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 if you have uh, bad feelings toward a certain company, you can always, there's, that's, that's okay because there are a hundred more that are, are, are ready to, uh, to, to bring you into the fold, whether or not it's, you know, it's, you're playing Plane Breaker over there with Monty Cook Games, or you're you got Cobalt Press with, uh, with all their stuff, or DCC, like I said, or like those you know, games we were talking about earlier, you know, Mutant Crawl Classics yeah. or Shadow Dark or any of those, you know, like Dolmenwood just uh, just launched. I think it was yesterday, and that campaign yes. looks amazing. I jumped on board of that. You could play that for years, and you know, and yeah, I've been. Uh, I was on his what do you call it um, Patreon for a while and now i'm back in that whole thing you talking about gavin some of our listeners have no yeah 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 i backed <laughs> yeah, gavin's uh, fantastic. uh old i backed old school essentials and then i jumped on his uh patreon to get you know follow the De- dolman wood development but now that's come to an end and it's about to come out in its final form yeah it, it looks listeners great. if you don't know what we're talking about it's uh it's a um, game uh, setting for uh, old school style Dungeons and Dragons that has a sort of fairy tale aesthetic to it. It's called uh, Dolmenwood by Gavin Norman of uh, Necrotic Gnome Games. Yeah, it's old school essentials Maybe and like uh, 75 ex- minutes. Yeah, Exalted Funeral is, uh, is, is putting that out. So it's good stuff. It's going to be good. So uh, are you working on anything right now or are you... Um, just getting ready for the, uh, Skullcano expansion. Oh no, man. So like, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always working like on like four or five things. Um, I've got a monster book that I've been developing for a while. Um, I've got a couple zines that I'm working on. I'm getting ready to launch one, uh, here in a couple weeks, uh, in conjunction with, uh, with, with uh, another, uh, another person. And um, I've just, yeah, I've got a, a book that I'm doing for somebody else. I, I just finished up a, um, a board game expansion uh, for another publisher. I mean, I'm always working on like a bunch of stuff at once. I find that it's easy, uh, easier for me to stay focused if I can work on something for a little while and switch. I don't get bored with things. Or if I start to get bored, I can move over and not get burnt out. So, um it helps with productivity and it helps me not, uh, not suffer any kind of like creative sort of, you know, uh, burnout of that, of that spark. Okay, good. Well, when, uh, whenever you're ready to launch your next Kickstarter, just uh, give me a nudge and we'll mention it. Yeah, sure. But no, it's called, um, it's called the, it's, it's a weird little zine. Um, and it's, it's for DCC and it's, it's, it's kind of like half of it. It's, it's, it's unusual for a DCC book because it's like half art book and then half role playing book because because the art in it is uh, every page is done by a different artist so it's kind of like a, like you know when you like a you you we get those old like art zines and like it was just like a like a collaborative um, like a collaborative effort so every page like every every page of text is done by a different different DCC author and every um, every illustration is by a different artist. So you, it's, you know, every page is just wild. Some pages are color. Some pages are black and white. It's all over the place, but you know, as a whole, it, it's, it's like a glimpse of in, in, into, 
you know, in, into the um, the vast field of, of creativity that that you know that, that you get in the DCC community because you've got some really like heavy hitters as far as artists go, um, you know, DCC artists go, like some of the some of the top guys, and then on the writing side, you've got some of the top guys from, from the, you know, from the, that community as well. Um, and then you've got guys who are just getting their, their feet wet, you know? So it's like, again, a little all over the place and it's a bit of an art zine, but it's, it's also like, you know, definitely a role-playing zine too. Um, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see the reception on this. I mean, I would, when I look, when I page through it, <laughs> I love it. You know, like I think it's just a, a, a great glimpse into what is possible when you have like a scene that, um, that surrounds a game or a scene that surrounds, um, like, a, like, a, like a movement, like, you know, DCC is a movement, you know, that's, it's not just a game. Like it is so like the fans of, for DCC stuff are so like, they're so devoted. They're so rabid almost like, and I, I mean that in the best possible way. Like when you go to a convention and you hang out with DCC people, it's like your family. Like it's, like it's crazy. Like how uh, welcoming and inclusive they are. It's really, really cool. Well, that sounds uh, exciting. I'm sure I will probably end up backing that when it comes out because I have a problem, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, before we go, stepping away from role-playing games for a minute and back into the world of monsters. Do you have a favorite monster? Oh yeah, but we got to, Hey, listen, I can't just say favorite monster, man. We got to break it down into categories. We talking, <laughs> kai, we talking Kaiju, we talking like classic, we go in eighties, we go in post eighties with like all let's the start. Like, let's start with Kaiju. <laughs> all right. Who's your favorite um, Kaiju? Oh man. Uh, it's like this again, it's like, um, it really is like trying to choose between my children because I'm such a huge like Toho <laughs> fan. Um, I've got, I mean, obviously, like you know, there's Godzilla. I, I mean, how how can you go wrong with with the King of the Monsters? Um, but I'm a big fan of Mecha Godzilla. But even more so than Mecha Godzilla, I kind of like Mecha Kong, even though he doesn't make as many uh, as many appearances. He's um, he's a like I love the aesthetic of Mecha Kong. Like it's just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like, if I'm going to go like, all right, well, let me try to pick my, you know, pick, pick my favorites. Um, I don't know, man. I really like the way that the smog monster looks. Um, and I like <laughs> the utterly insane, uh, backstory behind Biolante. Like it's, it did this backstory behind Biolante. It's just, it's just so nuts. Like it's, it's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know that answer is a little all over the place for the Kaiju, but, uh, there's a lot to love. <laughs> Okay. Do you have a favorite Universal monster? Uh, okay. Again, gotta break it up. It's just just a bit. My my favorite would be Frankenstein. However, I think the cool, okay. the one that looks the coolest is the creature from the Black Lagoon. And then if you're gonna go for straight up, like okay. how cool the aesthetic is, like the the story and the whole the whole nine yards, the Bride, the Bride of Frankenstein is is fantastic. Like um, like talk about iconic, like. It's just such a look, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the creature, mm-hmm. the creature looks so cool. The costume is just, I mean, nothing like it at the time. It's just, it's the perfect costume. Frankenstein has the whole, you know, the whole tragedy behind it. He's the, the, the man, the monster, the whole nine yards, everything wrapped up into it. It's fantastic. But the bride, you know, she has, the, that's, that's an iconic look. That's a, an Elvira level 
of awesomeness you know like just the, <laughs> just the look to that is, is is just perfect okay and how about uh D or D adjacent monsters uh, my favorite monster for D and D. If I'm if giving you the boring answer, it's the Lich. Um, I think they're <laughs> super customizable. Um, you really can make them a threat at just about any level, uh, even a low level. They can be kind of a background villain. Um, their lairs are just their entire dungeons on their own. They can, you know, there's just so many ways that you can that you can kind of customize them. Uh, to make it yeah, really really cool as far as like uh, kind of the weirder monsters I, i'm a big fan of like uh kind of silly monsters but then but then those monsters i, I like making them like an actual threat like i love how ridiculous mm. a rust monster looks you know like it, it's just <laughs> it, it's just so ridiculous looking but man when you get right down to it it doesn't matter like if you're first level or 20th level that thing touches your plus five armor and it doesn't save goodbye you know Mm -hmm. it's the same with like green slime if green slime drops on you in your 23rd level if you don't get it off of you in 1d4 rounds it doesn't care how many hit points you are or what level you are you're just dead you know but i wouldn't Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination call a green slime my favorite monster um (laughs) i do like the grell it's It's a a great song though oh well of course like the grell has like it's it's a, it's like a big brain with a with a, like a bird beak and two like crazy looking eyes and then all these tentacles and it like hangs out above doorways and mm-hmm. will try to grab yeah. you and float away like it's just such a ridiculous monster and for some reason they made an action figure of it in the in the 80s uh LJN toys was one of the the, the bendable action figures so i still have mine and it sits on my desk and i look at it every day and i'm just like it's such a Bat shit crazy monster like why does this thing even exist how did we get here what is this <laughs> this is great all right well any and any other monsters that i might have from categories i may not have thought of oh man like i told you man i'm a, I'm a big monster kid um i was just thinking about vampires um earlier today and i was trying to think of what my favorite vampire movie was and it's got to be uh near dark have you seen that it's from the 80s uh-huh. Catherine bigelow yes yeah I believe I have a DVD on my shelf of it. Oh, just a fantastic uh, vampire movie. The vampires are dirty and they're they're kind of like hillbillies, and uh, it has like kind of what I consider to yeah. be like the, the best like vampire, I don't know, attack or vampire fight scene uh, in movie history. There's this sequence in the when the, they go into the mm-hmm. bar, um, and Bill Paxton is just clearing that out the bar the, and they're dispersed. They're, they're just, yeah, it's just great. It's just such a great uh, scene. Even now, all these you know years later, it's just such a fantastic uh, scene and already good movie. So, um, big fan of the dirty hillbilly um, roving around in a in a big camper vampires, you know, with tinfoil <laughs> on the on the windows to keep themselves from getting burned up in the sun. Just such a, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but also kind of cool. It's like the, 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 the crater mutants in, um, in um, the hills have eyes, you know, like you've got like wow. this irradi- irradiated wasteland and you've got these, you know, mutants basically living beneath the ground and, you know, dragging hapless travelers to their doom. It's, it's such a, again, a kind of insane concept, but like pretty cool when you start to think about it, you know, and terrifying. Yeah. 
Well, Levi, we've been here for a while, so I think uh, this is a good spot to wrap it up. But thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, folks, we will put the link to all Levi's stuff in the show notes. If you want to check out any of his games or follow him on the socials, uh, you can find. And there will also be a profile on our website for him at mmftg.com. Thank you for joining us, Levi. And now, back to the rest of the show. Honeybee, what are you going to rate Zarkor the Invader? Zarkor exclamation point, the Invader. I think, like, as a movie, it's like a three-star movie, but I really had fun watching it. Like, I, I did enjoy it. I get the cult-following aspect of it. I really loved Arthur. I loved how just, like, socially, like kind of just his like kind of weird neurodivergent character it he was like problematic but he also kind of saved the day and i really enjoyed that so i guess i'm gonna give it like a 3.8 wow not quite a four but more than a three because i did have fun watching it i did enjoy it was a good time but yeah it's it's not a very good movie i'm giving it a two i was not charmed by the performances i did like george but yeah, I found our lead to be really whiny. Mm-hmm. Although I liked Zarkor himself, he didn't have any personality and wasn't really connected. Yeah. To, it was like there was two different movies going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Found Dr. Martin to be kind of annoying. Yeah. And uh, yeah, on the whole. I agree I with all of those. I agree with all of those things, but I did enjoy it. It was fun to watch. Like I did enjoy the movie. I I enjoyed the like kind of, it's kind of like when we were at G fest and we watched uh, like the cowgirls versus pterodactyls movie. (laughs) Like that movie was so God awful, but I had a really, really good time watching it. Like it was, (laughs) the experience was so fun. So it was kind of like that. Like it was not a good movie, but I really enjoyed watching it and had a good time. Like just being shocked or being like, what the fuck is going on right now? It just made me laugh. And the characters like George, just like all of a sudden changing his mind and being like, no, Larry, I really believe this guy. I I was just like, what (laughs) the fuck is happening? And at first I'm like, no, he's just being a good cop, like trying to get the guy to put the gun down and stuff. But no, he actually did fucking believe him. And then there's also this point where, um, the main character's like telling the girl, he's like, I don't want to force you to help. And the cop, George is like, I could probably force her. Like I could probably probably do it. And it just made me laugh. So like I laughed like out loud a few times and I had a really good time (laughs) watching it. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it's like a, like a 3.5 to a 3.8 somewhere in there. But yeah, definitely not a good movie. George was definitely my favorite. I do kind of wish I had seen it on video when it first came out. I might've felt differently about it. I might've been nostalgic for it. Mm-hmm. Cause as I said, I have watched a lot of full moon videos in my time, but somehow this one uh, missed me. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for today. What do we have on the docket for next week? Ooh, next week. Next week is tremors. tremors. Two aftershocks. Yay. I don't know if that's easily available or if that's one person might have to pay for. Looks like you might have to rent that one or buy it. We might already Probably have access cheap, to though. it. Mm, you can rent it for three ninety nine, three seventy nine. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> for some reason, yeah, it's twenty cents cheaper on Prime. Uh, but we we might uh, talk to me before you do that. We might have access to it elsewhere. 
I meant honeybee, not the rest of you. The rest of you, you're on your own. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, you can support the show if you enjoy it at patreon.com slash MMFTG. You can also find a link to that and all our other stuff at MMFTG.com. Please follow us on all the things. Subscribe, like, rate us, review us, send us a message. Let us know you care. <laughs> Until next week. Uh... You you have been precious tea. Yeah, oh. I have. But next <laughs> I was gonna say next I'll week made me think. Next week we will also be at Kaiju Go. So come see us at Kaiju Go. Yay! I thought you forgot your name. No, no. KaijuGo.com has all the information about that. So until we see you at Kaiju Go, I have been Precious D. And I've been Honeybee. Remember to keep calm and take shelter in basements. And please don't misuse science. We won't see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Fun Time Go. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> You've been listening to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacano folk rock punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg.